If you will, please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 67. Psalm 67, which begins with the superscription, to the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. We don't know if this is from King David, but we might assume that it is from David since it is in the first portion of these psalms that most are ascribed, in fact, to David. And there are some psalms within Israel's Psalter, which I think we could safely say are overtly evangelistic. Psalm 67 is surely one of them. When I'm using the term evangelistic, I mean to simply speak of yet another description of God wanting us to proclaim His glory and His worth to all the nations of the world. If you look closely at every single verse of Psalm 67, and there are only seven verses, you'll see a reference to either God's chosen people, Israel, or a reference that also includes the whole of the Gentile world, or perhaps even some references in this psalm which point to both Jew and Gentile together. For instance, verse 1, may God be gracious to us and bless us no doubt a reference to Israel, because this is Israel's Psalter. And then he says, and make his face to shine upon us. And then the word selah, the idea of pausing and pondering such things. I think these are references uh, to be rightly assumed to the nation of Israel, particularly. And that, of course, makes sense because the ironic blessing of the book of Numbers, which is very famous to all of us, uh, that is certainly a blessing that was being bestowed upon Israel uh, through Aaron's line. And this is true, I think, of verse 1. But look at verse 2, that your way may be known on earth. Maybe on earth is a reference to the totality of, of global peoples all around the world. That line all over the face of the earth. And notice it goes on to say, you're saving power among all nations. All nations. That's a reference that that certainly includes the Gentiles, but which maybe perhaps could also include the totality of all peoples made up of both Jews and Gentiles. Verse 3, let the peoples praise you, O God. That's, again, that's all the world. Another translation says, all the nations. So let the peoples praise you, O God, which must mean the known non-Israelite world of this time, the time in which this psalm was written. And then it ends there in verse 3, let all the peoples or all the nations praise you. So this is transcendent beyond Israel. This is not just Israel praising their God. But this is the psalmist saying, all the world must praise God. Verse 4, let the nations, there it is again, the Gentile world, be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations 
upon earth. And then another pause there, Selah. This is, this is a psalm about all the nations. It's, of course, true about Israel, but it's about the whole world. It's about the whole world, evangelistically speaking, needing to praise God. Verse 5, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. You see, Israel was supposed to be taking this good news of God our Savior to all of the peoples around them. It wasn't something that they were supposed to just have as their own possession. Look at verse 6. The earth, or the land, has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. That's certainly Israel. But it could, of course, ultimately apply to everyone in the world who receives their bountiful provision from God. And then verse 7, God shall bless us, probably here of Israel, let all the ends of the earth fear him. Now that has to be more than just Israel, right? Let all the earth, all the world, all the nations fear God. This is evangelistic. This is a call through the pen of the psalmist to say, we, all of us, are supposed to show this God and his character, show him mighty. This is what we're supposed to do. Israel was supposed to do that in their day, and we're supposed to do that in our day. We talk to people around us, and we tell them, we proclaim to them about ourselves, I love the Lord. I know God. Do you know God? I want to praise my great God. I want to invite you to praise our great God. All these references to either Israel or the Gentile nations of the world or to both Israel and the Gentiles at one and the same time, they all have something in common. And here it is. They are all being called upon to fear and honor and praise God as God. And yet, in order to do that very thing, we must assume this question, and here it is. What must one affirm about this God? I mean, if we're to praise Him, if we're to worship Him, if we're to extol Him, if we're to honor Him, why? Why? I mean, there are many, many nation states of the world that say, well, we have our own God, or we have many gods, or we have a God for this and a God for that. Why should we as the nations of the world, worship your God, Israel's God, why must we worship what Christianity says is God when we have our gods? So why would we worship your God? Well, this is the answer. The answer is your God is not like our God. Our God has these perfections. He has these grand attributes that transcend all the other gods or supposed gods of the world. And so, this psalm, as short as it is, actually gives us five characteristics or perfections or attributes of our God that prove such worthiness to worship Him and Him alone. Five characteristics of our God. Do you want to see them? All right, let's, let's dive in 
This is so thrilling as we see the proof of why our God, Yahweh God, is to be worshipped by us and by the world alone. Not any other gods, not any other gods of human making, uh, not any other supposed gods, not any gods with small g's. We're talking about the God of the universe, Yahweh God. And this particular psalmist, if it is David, he's telling us, I'm going to give you five reasons, five characteristics, five perfections, five attributes about who this God is that proves that he alone should be worshipped. And here's the first one, the first one. God's way, this is Yahweh God, God's way to live life is the wisest direction on earth. God's way, God's way to live life is the wisest direction on earth. In other words, there is no better way. There's not another God out there or supposed God that anybody could say is wiser than Yahweh God, that has a wiser way of living, a wiser plan for the ages, a wiser way for you and I to navigate life, to have direction in our life than Yahweh. Look at the first two verses, verse 1 and then the first part of verse 2. Here's what it says. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, Selah. And here's the reason. Here's why we should do that. Here's why we would want this particular God to be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. That uh, for the purpose that your way or my way may be known on earth. Well, how does my way become known on the earth? Well, because my way needs to be God's way. God's way is supreme. God's way is best. God's way to live life is the way I ought to want to live life because it's the best way. God, if he's going to be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us, is because we're telling people about how God does bless us, about how he does ever and always become so very gracious to us in every day of our life, and that his face shines upon us ever and always. That's how we show the world that his way is to be known throughout all the earth. This is a benedictory prayer. This is a prayer for God's blessing. It's a prayer for His favor. It's a prayer for His grace. It's a prayer for His peace. And you know that little phrase there, make His face to shine upon us? That's obviously anthropomorphic. That's a fancy word that says God accommodates Himself to us by showing something about himself in human terms that we could understand easily. Because the fact of the matter is, God doesn't have a face. He's a spirit, doesn't have a body, doesn't have a face. But he accommodates himself to our language, our understanding, our living of life. And as it were, he says, let me show you my face. And that face is the face of blessing. 
It's the face of favor. It's the face of grace. It's the face of His shining His favor upon us. That's what that means. God is accommodating Himself in using human terms to speak of His favor and His blessing toward His people. I mean, if you and I want people around our own sphere of influence to know who our God is, then we first pray that He will bless us, pray that He would give us His favor, His graciousness, and we let people know that God's shining favor is on my life. Now, I know that there are some Christians who you and I would meet who look about as gloomy and dour as can be. Uh, and they may say, well, my, my, my heart is glad. Uh, I'm enjoying the Lord. Uh, my face just hasn't caught up with my heart yet. And that may be true. But the fact of the matter is, we alone, as those who are lovers of God and who are seeing His favor in our lives, are the ones who ought to tell people about it. We ought to show it by the way we live. We ought to show it by, by saying about our God, His way of living life is the wisest direction on earth. His way is best. In fact, turn over to that Numbers passage, Numbers 6. Numbers chapter 6. This is that famous Aaronic blessing from Aaron. This is, this is the, the kind of thing that starts off in our Pentateuch, in our Bibles, that tells us, and we've read some passages earlier in our service, that show us that this idea of God's face shining upon us is repeated several times in our Bible. And in Numbers chapter 6, look at verse 24. Numbers 6, 24. Here's that great blessing. This is memorized by the Jews. They know this like the back of their hand. This is what they're praying every day. Numbers 6, 24. This is, this is what the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, verse 23, and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance or his face upon you and give you peace. So, verse 27, they shall put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. And that's, of course, the name of Yahweh. So this is what the Jews pray for. They pray for that every day that the Lord would bless them and keep them and make His face shine upon them and be gracious to them. The Lord lift up the face of His people upon this God who sees everything and shines His face on them so that they can have a happy face as well. This is the blessing. And the psalmist, in essence, takes this very thing and says, I want a blessing. And I want Israel to be blessed. Notice he says, may God be gracious to us and to bless us and to make his face to shine upon us. That's what we want too. Christians want this. We, we serve Yahweh God and, 
We want God to bless us, right? No one in their ever-loving mind says, no, I don't need any blessings. I don't need any favor. I don't need any grace. I don't need God's face to shine upon me. If you're a Christian, uh, this Selah says, ponder, stop, think, interlude, consider. Of course we want to be blessed. Of course we want to be given grace and favor. Of course we want God's face to shine upon us. But I want you to see the reason why God's people want to see God's blessing most upon their lives. And here's where that evangelism or that outreach, that good news comes into play. That your way may be known on earth. You want people to know God's way. We don't want to just hide all of the goodness of God to ourselves, right? We want other people to know about it. We want people to know of God's way. By the way, do you know what the Hebrew word for, for way is? It's very familiar to you, even if you don't know it. It's been uh, borrowed in English, and it's a person's name, Derek. Derek. That's the Hebrew word for way. Derek. If someone's named Derek in English, that means way. And in this case, of course, God's way. God's way. It stands for God's road, God's path, God's way. And and the psalmist is simply saying in this very short psalm that his prayer for God's blessing and grace would not only spill over onto them as a nation, the Israelites, but on all the nations of the earth. You know, a lot of times we think, well, the Jews were a peculiar people, and they tended to stay by themselves, and they didn't want to uh, intermingle with, with other uh, nation states of the world, and, and that's true, but it wasn't always supposed to be that way. They were supposed to be influencing the nations around them, not being influenced by them. They were to be going to the nations around them and saying, hey, consider our God. Consider how gracious He is to us. Consider how favorable he has made us. You, you others, you other nations of the world, you come and see how gracious our God is. Come and see his way, his Derek. Come and, come and see how good God is. Come and see his shining face upon us, the Israelites, his people. And why? For the ultimate purpose of showing the world how their God, Yahweh God, and His way of life is the wisest way to live. It really is. If you look at the Old Testament, you'll find in many passages of the Old Testament this idea of Derek, way. And you'll find that unless it's in a negative context, don't go that way, you'll find something like this, go this way, which means go God's way. I'll show you a couple of those. Look at uh, Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. You might not have even seen these before because when you think of this little word way, uh, you might read it so quickly, you're not even sort of thinking about it. And yet Proverbs 1, 6 says, 
to understand a proverb and a saying, uh, the word, uh, the words of the wise and their riddles. And then verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Well, do you want to, do you want to understand a proverb? You want to understand a saying according to Proverbs 1.6? Do you want to know the words of the wise and their riddles? Do you want to understand the fear of the Lord? Well, then here's what you need to do. Look at Proverbs chapter 2. He's going to show us the right way. He's going to show us God's way of wisdom. Look at chapter 2, verse 7. God, through his wisdom, because verse 6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Notice verse 7. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. So we're, we're now talking about someone who's walking. That's a, a way of talking about your step-by-step journey in the Christian life. Number uh, Verse 8, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. You know that God is watching your way? He's even paving the way. He's he's creating an environment in which you'll walk the right way. Verse 9, then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path, every good road, every good way. For wisdom, verse 10, will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil. You see, there's a good way, and there's an evil way. In fact, so much so is that choice given in our Bibles all the way back in the first psalm, which we might call the gateway psalm to all the psalms. This is so clear. Either choose God or you choose something that's not God. You choose the right way or you choose the wrong way. You've read Psalm 1 many, many times. Verse 5 of Psalm 1, therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. It couldn't be any clearer. Couldn't be a clearer contrast here. There's the way of the righteous, and there's the way of the wicked. And this was the plan all along. Do you remember the the promise in Genesis 12 that God gave to to Abram about blessing him? Uh, You don't have to turn there, but I'll, I'll read it for you. This has always been the plan the plan of God all along. It wasn't just the Jews. It wasn't just uh, the Jews only. There was always a plan for all the nations of the earth. It was included in that very promise that God gave to Abram. Do you remember it? Here's what it says. Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said, verse 1 to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you. There's that, that uh, sort of uh, blessing formula again. And I will bless you, like that ironic blessing. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And then notice this in verse 3. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's not just the Jews. 
That's not just this new burgeoning nation called the Israelites. The promise, the covenant that God made with Abram is in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The the Israelites were supposed to take this blessing to the whole ends of the earth. This, This God of the Bible the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, has a definite way of living life. And it's the wisest direction for life. That's, that's why we praise God. That's why we honor God. That's why we say, Psalm 67.1, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way God's way may be known on earth. God's way is the wisest, best for the direction of the way of life. And think of how many people who want to go their own way, who want to do their own thing. They've got a better path. They've got a better road than God's. Well, they won't see His graciousness and blessing, and His face won't shine upon them. See how easy it is? Just do it God's way. Just do it God's way. Secondly, God's power. God's power. Not only God's way, but God's power. I'd say it like this. God's power to save mankind is the greatest deliverance on earth. God's way... As we just saw, God's way, God's way to live life is the wisest direction on earth. And secondly, God's power to save mankind is the greatest deliverance on earth. What do I mean by God's power and this matter of deliverance? Look at the latter part of verse 2 and verse 3. God is, is being prayed to here so that he would be gracious, according to verse 1, and bless us and make his face shine upon us, that God's way, his way of, of telling us how to live life, which would be the wisest direction on earth, and also, verse 2, your saving power, your saving power among all nations. That's what the nations of the world are supposed to see, God's saving power. What is his Saving power. Well, the Hebrew word for saving power is Yeshuat. From Yeshua, God saves. God saves. And Yeshua, as it has come to be known for us, of course, Yeshua is Jesus. Jesus saves. This is God's saving power. It's his power to save mankind. And that's the greatest deliverance, the greatest delivering power on earth. I mean, if God's way is the wisest way to live, the wisest direction in life, then surely God's greatest power shown on the earth is his saving power, his delivering power. Do you see that? No wonder the psalmist says there in verse 3, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let the peoples praise you. For what? For what reason? For what 
characteristic, for what attribute? God's saving power. You say, what kind of saving power? Oh, I'll tell you, only the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the only power we're talking about. Oh, it's a mighty power. It's an awesome power. It's the power that raised Christ from the dead. This is the saving power. No wonder we praise God. Is that what you do when you wake up in the morning and you say about yourself, I'm so grateful that God has saved me, that he's delivered me from my sins. I'm so grateful that God has given me eternal life. I'm so grateful that one day he's going to raise me from the dead. I'm I'm so thankful to him. I praise him. I honor him. You think that might have been what was in some of the minds of the Israelites when they were delivered from their Egyptian bondage after 400 years? Surely there were some of them who saw the greatest display in the Old Testament of God's saving power. That's that's the Exodus event. That's God parting the Red Sea. That's God delivering his people from their bondage. That's the greatest Old Testament example of God's saving power. He says, I'm going to display my power and you're going to see that power on display and you're going to be delivered. And of course, what's the greatest delivering power of the New Testament? The cross. The cross. The cross of Jesus Christ. That's the greatest deliverance on earth. Do you praise God for his saving power? This is what this psalm is telling us to do. Let, let the peoples, let the peoples of the whole world praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Why? For what reason? That your saving power would be displayed among all nations. Will it not be a great day when we once and forevermore will see God's saving power with not one single person doing anything to rob God of his saving power and glory? I mean, that's, that's what we want. That's what we long for. Look back at Psalm 66, just one psalm before this. You remember I told you from last time that that event of the Old Testament, this idea of Egyptian bondage and how God put his power on display was shown in Psalm 66. Look at verse 5. The the song tells us, because psalms are songs, come and see what God has done. Psalm 66, 5. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. Why? Upon what basis do you say he's awesome? Verse 6, he turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might, his power forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. That's his his continuing power, the power to 
keep this universe in place. Uh, The the power uh, to get you and me to a place where our bodies work. The, The power that allows this universe to be in its rightful place and to orbit and to be orbited in the way that God intends. It's His might. This is God's saving power. I mean, He not only gives us the wisest direction in life, and that's God's way, but He also gives us His power, God's power. That's why we should praise God. There's not another supposed deity on the planet that has the saving power that our God has. So when you pillow your head at night and you're thinking about all the aches and pains, you're thinking about how's this going to happen, is my car going to start in the morning, is my battery dying, just think, my God has all the saving power that's available to accomplish His will, His purposes. God's power, God's way and God's power. Thirdly, thirdly, if, if God's way to live life is the wisest direction on earth, and if God's power to save mankind is His greatest deliverance on earth, then God's fairness to judge disputes is the soundest governance on earth. God's fairness to judge disputes is the soundest governance on earth. What do I mean? Look at the first part of verse 4. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. And I say, why? Why? I mean, I'm not a doubting Thomas. I'm not a person who's saying, yeah, but you got to prove it to me. You got to show it to me. But if you look at this language here, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Why? Give me a reason. Give me an attribute of God. Give me a characteristic of this God that you say you serve. Why should I be glad? Why should I sing for joy? And I tell you, this is the reason. For you judge the peoples with equity. See the little word for there? He's he's giving you a reason. That's the reason. That's the reason you and I ought to be glad. That's the reason that you and I ought to be singing for joy. For, here's the reason, for you judge the peoples with equity. With equity. What does that mean? I mean, someone's going to say, look, I don't, I don't sing for joy. If I'm a part of the nations, let the nations be glad. I don't want to be glad if I think that this God that you say you serve judges the people with equity, because the only thing I can think that means is that God is going to judge or zap somebody in the end because of all their sins in their life. If he judges with equity, I'm done. I'm history. I'm toast. Well, that's not precisely what this means. What this really means is that God is fair because the word equity means fairness. And when I say God's fairness to judge disputes is the soundest governance on earth, what he's saying there, this psalmist, for you judge the peoples with equity, means God always does what is right. He always does what's right. He's always fair. He's always judging with equity because that's what he does when he governs 
the world. That's what he does when he governs the world. Yes, it is true that one day God is going to judge the world according to his holy and righteous standard. And it will be a sorrowful day for many, for so many, as they are judged eternally for their sin. But this statement is of the psalmist saying more than just a word about God as the judge of the nations eternally. This concept of God's judgment, the judgment of peoples with equity, has to do with God's administrative actions in governing the world right now. He governs the world right now. He's in charge. This is, a, this is a word about God being sovereign over the affairs of all men. He's in charge. No rogue molecule. Nobody who thinks they can outsmart him. They can outgovern him. They cannot. Our God judges everything with his righteous right hand, but he judges with fairness and faithfulness and equity. Boy, I can, I can serve a God like that. Now, I know there are people saying, yeah, but I wasn't treated fairly in this, on this occasion. I, this didn't happen the way I wanted it to. I blame God for that. Uh, he didn't come through for me. He wasn't fair to me. Here's what the Bible says. God governs the world with the fairness of his character, with absolute equal justice. There's no favoritism in him. He's not partial. No partiality in God. Listen to Psalm 96. Psalm 96, verse 11. This is what it says about our God. Let the heavens be glad... And let the earth rejoice, let the sea roar, and all that fills it, let the field exult, and everything in it, then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth, he will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. God's faithful. He's true. He's fair. And according to Psalm 103, Verse 19, his sovereignty rules over all. His kingdom is a kingdom of fairness. Look, if you ask me the question about all the nations of the the earth today and whether or not any of them are as equally fair and just and truthful, what's the obvious answer? Of course not. There, There are people who have legitimate beefs with their governments, the governments over them, about that government's fairness, right? Of course. Because human beings, at our best, are terribly inconsistent. But God is fair. God is just. He's fair-minded in His governance of the world he fairly judges disputes. I mean, if there's a, a widow, if there's a woman with small children and she needs God's fairness, in the end she'll have it because God's fair. He 
rules with justice. He acts with truth. He acts with faithfulness. And the psalmist is saying, if you can believe a God like that, who's fair, who's fair when he judges disputes, then of course you're going to be glad and sing for joy. Of course you will. And here's another one, number four. Not just God's way, not just God's power, not just God's fairness, but God's guidance. God's guidance to navigate decisions. Oh, that's the safest plan on earth. God's guidance to navigate decisions is the safest plan on earth. Look at the latter part of verse 4. And guide the nations upon earth. God doesn't just judge the peoples with equity, according to verse 4. At the end of verse 4, and he guides the nations upon earth. There's another Selah. Ponder this. Pause to think about this. God is in the process ever and always to guide. You know what that is? That's his providence. He providentially guides the nations upon earth. You might not think of it. You might not perceive that it's happening, that God is guiding all the nations of the, of the world, but He is. He's providentially guiding all things to allow us to navigate all the decisions in life so that His plan is the safest plan on earth. It goes back to that idea of God's way, doesn't it? God's way. And this is God's guidance. Do you believe that God guides you? You say, yes, but I also believe that there are times where I'm not sure I'm agreeing with his guidance. Or, Lord, I'm, I'm affirming your guidance, but don't you think I ought to be guided this way or that way or another way? Well, he's wise. And he's not only wise, he's powerful. And he's not only powerful, he's fair. And if he's all those things, doesn't he know how to guide us? I mean, who doubts? Who wonders? Here's the answer all of us. All of us do. Because we only see life on a limited plane, we only see life on a limited scale. And so we see what looks good to us. We see what seems fair to us. Uh, We believe that God ought to be powerful in this or that way. He ought to exert such a power to protect us and to lead us and to guide us. And yes, His way is the best way to live life because it's the greatest way to live. That's true. I agree with all of it, except when I don't understand Him. And when I don't understand him, I say, perhaps you're not guiding me in the right way. And so we battle, and we wonder, and we question. But know this, if, in fact, you want to show the nations how to be glad and how to sing for joy, then affirm God's guidance. He guides 
He guides us so that we can navigate all the decisions that we need to make because he has the safest plan in the world. It's the, it's the plan to protect us and guide us through his grand providence. Do we really believe that? If you say, yes, I do, well then tell somebody about it. Say to God and say to those who are wondering about your God, He's a God who guides. He guides the nations. He guides the nations upon earth. You might even show them this verse. You might even encourage them to give up supposed control of their own life. You might even say to them, since you've always been, at least in your thinking, in control of your life, how's that working for you? How's that going? And perhaps God may have prepared the soil of their heart to say, not so good. I've presumed that I was in control, but I've realized I've made a mess of my life. I've made a boatload of bad decisions. I think I'm ready to give up control. And maybe this God you keep talking about is fully capable of guiding me. I'd say not only capable of guiding you, but according to Psalm 67.4, he guides the entirety of the nations upon earth. Never sleeps, never slumbers. He guides. He guides in such a way that he helps us navigate all the decisions, all the things that we need to do each and every day. And when you allow him to providentially guide, believe you me, it's the safest plan on earth. It's absolutely safest. That's reason enough to praise God and to worship Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And number five and last, God's provision. God's provision. God's provision to multiply food. That's the sweetest sustenance on earth. I mean, verse 5, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let the peoples praise you. Why? Give me a reason. I'll give you a reason. Verse 6, the earth has yielded its increase. What does that mean? That means God is so providentially in charge, he so guides the nations upon the earth that there's not one single seed that germinates that God isn't himself behind. The earth has yielded its increase. Can you imagine what farmers think as they bring in their crops? Oh, man, did I do such a great job this year. Man, I not only sowed the seed, 
but I watered it, and while it was in the ground, I didn't do so much. Let me rethink my position. Because in Mark's gospel, it actually says that very thing. The the faithful sower sows the seed, he puts it in the ground, he cultivates it, but he can't do anything about the weather, and he can't figure out how, when a seedling goes into the ground, comes out a plant, a stalk. He can't figure that out, other than he knows it happens. And Mark's gospel says something even further. When you're faithful to sow the seed, and you've got to be faithful to sow the seed, but when you faithfully sow the seed, it says the farmer goes to sleep, goes to bed at night. And it says when he wakes up the next morning, he looks out there and he sees this germinated seed, and it says how it grows, he himself does not know. God knows. God's the one who's behind it all. He's the one who cultivates. He's the one who causes the growth. He's the one who makes sure that everybody has something to eat. The earth has yielded its increase. You know what's probably happening here in this psalm? This is probably a psalm that they sang at all of their harvest festivals. This is probably the psalm. The Lord, the Lord God of the earth, God, our God, verse 6, He shall bless us. In what sense in this context? To give us increase, to make sure our, our children are eating, make sure that our wife has something to cook for her family. Who does that? Well, I sowed the seed. Yeah, take credit for that and see if God doesn't show you a lesson by not letting it grow. See if he uh, keeps water away. See if there's a famine in the land. See what God does when you trust him by faith, when you ask him for increase, when you ask him for an abundant yield. And that's what farmers do. We don't eat unless God comes through. We don't have the abundant yield unless God comes comes through. It's God's provision to multiply food. And that's the sweetest sustenance on earth. No wonder the psalmist says, God, our God shall bless us. He'll bless us with food. He'll bless us with an increase. He'll bless us with an abundance. No wonder we need to celebrate our God. No wonder we pray before our meals commence. No wonder we thank Him for giving us something to eat. No wonder God is to be praised because He gives us His provision. Every person around the globe should be praising our God because He multiplies an overwhelming provision of food as the sweetest sustenance you and I could ever ask for. When's the last time you had that absolutely phenomenal meal? And it was so succulent, and it was so enticing, and you just ate until your heart's content. 
and you said to yourself, this is the best meal I've ever had. Well, it came to you from him. And you thank him. And you praise him. And you adore him. And you worship him. And you glorify him. That's our proper response. And I'd say if there was a crescendo statement in this psalm, it would be this. Look at verse 7, the latter part. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. I should say so. I mean, this is our God. I should say so. There's, there's no reason not to. I mean, God's way to live life is the wisest direction on earth. God's power to save mankind is the greatest deliverance on earth. God's fairness to judge disputes is the soundest governance on earth. God's guidance to navigate decisions is the safest plan on earth. And God's provision to multiply food is the sweetest sustenance on earth. Those are, those are five really good reasons. And guess what? There's a hundred There's a thousand more. There's a hundred thousand more reasons to praise God. So so do you? You say, well, look, if I were the most optimistic person on the planet, I would otherwise agree with you about all those characteristics of God. Yeah, yeah, his way, his power, his fairness, his guidance, his provision, it's all true to a degree, But uh, his way, sometimes if I go his way, I'm going to suffer persecution. And sometimes if I acknowledge his power, it may be uh, a power that uh, seems a little bit overexerted. And uh, God's fairness, well, you know what? I've seen some court cases And I've seen some situations where maybe that widow or or maybe those children weren't treated so fair. And and you say that God's in charge of everything? You say that God's guidance to navigate our decisions and to have the safest plan on earth? Well, I tell you, the safest plan, it seems to me, sometimes doesn't work because there are disasters, shootings, bombings. And if you say that God's provision is to multiply food, and that's the sweetest sustenance on earth? Well, yeah, I know there are, there are a lot of kids I've seen with distended bellies who haven't eaten in days, weeks. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a series of good questions, and perhaps that's true at times. But here's what's also true. This God that we're supposed to praise, that we're supposed to sing to and be glad about, he says, let all the ends of the earth fear him. Well, fear him in the sense of revere him, yes. Fear him in the sense of glorify him, yes. But when I see all of these evil atrocities of the world, when I see all of these things that don't make sense and the origin of evil itself And when I see people and they are dealt with and treated so unfairly, what about this kingdom of God? What about this idea of God 
being the king of his kingdom, and he's got all these great attributes and all these great characteristics and and perfections. Well, yeah, but I don't always see that. Well, that's true. But there is a king who's coming into his kingdom, and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's going to right all the wrongs. And he's going to rule from his throne with absolute, utter fairness and equity. And everything he does when he guides people is a guidance with perfection. And you want to talk about God's way? He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Oh, I grant you that because of sin in this world, because of the curse of sin upon this earth, yes, we may have an abundance of times, but we also have weeds. That's true. And sometimes when we see people being taken advantage of, we say that's unfair, and that's true. But there will come a day, my friends, when God's foes will all be vanquished and Jesus Christ himself will be ruling and reigning in Jerusalem and all of these things as perfections of his and a thousand more will make us look at this psalm and say, I have no criticisms. I have no fault-finding with God because Jesus Christ himself will be the perfect king and ruler and it will be flawless. You want to see that? As we close, look in your Bibles at Revelation 19. Yeah, there's, there's a Messiah coming who will bring all of this to absolute perfection and there won't be any questions and there won't be any naysayers and there won't be any sins that he does not vanquish and deal with. And here's what it says in Revelation 19. I, I, wish, I wish we had time to read the whole thing. But this is what's said. Here's a hallelujah. Look at chapter 19, verse 1. After this, I heard, John the Apostle says, what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power. Some of these very perfections we see in Psalm 67, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen! Hallelujah! And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God! All you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. That sounds like the end of Psalm 67, doesn't it? Let all the earth fear him. And then there's going to be, you want to talk about God's provision to multiply food, the married supper of the Lamb. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! 
For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And then Jesus vanquishes all his foes. This one who is called faithful and true, according to verse 11, in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself, and he's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And according to Revelation 20, the Bible says, He comes back to rule and to vanquish and to defeat even Satan himself and to stand as the judge before the great white throne and then he will reign for a thousand years. And then the kingdoms of the world will be given by Christ back to the Father and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth and an eternal state in which righteousness dwells forever and ever without anybody questioning without a lack of food, without a a lack of anybody questioning God's guidance and God's fairness and God's power and God's way. And everybody's going to say forever and ever and ever, including you and me, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, I can't wait for that day. Perhaps it's tonight. Oh, I hope it is. Let's pray together. Father, we want you to bless us. Certainly, please bless us. May you be gracious to us and bless us and make your face to shine upon us. May we be glad and sing for joy and praise you. And may we be those who say, God, our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. We fear you, Lord. We reverence you. And we stand in awe of these five perfections, these characteristics, these attributes, and so much more. And we sing to you because we love you. And we ask that you would be pleased with our worship.
in Jesus' name. And for the sake of his coming kingdom, we praise you. Amen.